This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. So, as Ukrainian politicians warn that the situation is only going to get worse in the coming days as Russia plans more attacks, Boris Johnson is attempting to get on the front foot and lead the West with a six-point plan. James, talk us through that plan. Um, is it meaningful action or is it more principles to show he's doing something? I think he placed it in the New York Times. I think it's designed to show that kind of the UK is, is on the front foot, which it has been proved vindicated in, in various strategic judgments, most notably that Putin was actually planning to invade Ukraine, something that several other countries doubted, although I think even the British didn't quite anticipate the kind of full-blown nature of it. And in terms of things like sanctions or cutting Russia off from SWIFT, the UK has, I think, been ahead of the game. I think, you know, if you read the, the reporting in the, in the US press at the weekend, making the point that the, the British had led the charge on that, where the UK is a laggard, which is what this economic crime bill is trying to deal with, is in terms of sanctioning individual oligarchs close to Vladimir Putin. I think the UK is really struggling to do that. Uh, I don't think it has enough lawyers with developed vesting to look at it. I think it is struggling with the proportionality clause. So if you look at the... Um, the economic crime bill, one of the things the government is trying to do is basically say that the UK can sanction anyone sanctioned by either the EU or the US as a kind of workaround. But obviously legislation takes time to get on the books. So I think that the UK will continue to lag on that. I think one area where the UK has done a lot was in terms of getting lethal aid to Ukraine before the conflict started. Indeed, one of the ironies of the situation is if you look at the, the 20 countries now sending lethal aid to Ukraine, if those countries had all been sending aid to Ukraine before the conflict began... I wonder whether, first of all, whether it would have begun in the first place and whether the Ukrainians would have been more, would have had even more success in terms of pushing back the Russian forces. Fraser, I've had Tory MPs over the weekend suggesting that this is going to be Boris Johnson's Falklands moment. Is that a fair comparison? It's, I'm afraid to say, a ridiculous uh, comparison. And we need to be, I guess, stealing ourselves for a lot of this. Uh, if you're a politician, you can look around the West and see the way that that Europe pretty much spontaneously united behind this over the course of the last um, 10 days. There hasn't really been a leader other than President Zelensky, of course, in Ukraine. So you can see why somebody like Boris would think, hang on a minute, there's no miracle figure here. Uh, Macron's in a bit of a sticky wicket. He was played like a $5 banjo by Putin. Why didn't I come along and say that I'm leading? Um, and of course, it won't be long before, I imagine, we have um, Macron wanting to lead um, somebody else wanting to lead. They had a seven-point plan. Yeah, uh, uh, so we we can expect all this, but I sort of roll my eyes a little bit at this. I can't really... I can see why Boris Johnson's advisors might want to think, OK, this is great, you're going to lead Europe. Uh, I think the, the most important thing right now is that Ukraine gets help, and I would far rather if Boris Johnson were not turning away Ukrainian refugees at the border point in Calais, and he focused more on sorting that out than he did on coming up with a six-point plan that presumably he thinks other countries are going to to follow. Um, It is yet unclear where the leadership is going to come from. Is it it going to come via NATO? Is it going to come from the European Union, which for the first time in its history is buying arms and selling them to Ukraine? 
Then again, of course, can the EU really claim to be the main vehicle when you've got Switzerland, when you've got Norway, using the power of its sovereign wealth fund to, to join the sanctions? So there is a little bit of a question right now, uh, who is going to, or what, is going to lead the Western response? And by the way, can you even call it Western, given that Singapore, that South Korea are also joining in the position here? So th- there, there, there is a question of, I guess, resistance to leadership, if you want to call it that, I wouldn't call it Western. You can expect people like Johnson to jostle for position. I don't think it's the most important thing facing the world right now. On refugees, Priti Patel has suggested over the weekend uh, in editorial for the Sun that the UK government will be doing more, that there'll be a route to the UK that will be offered, which will be for those who don't have direct family here. But James, we still don't know any details or numbers, do we? No, and I think there is a, I think there is some head scratching in other parts of government about what precisely Priti Patel meant. I think the UK is... What do you mean the op had caught some people by surprise? I, I, I think some people... I think this is another example perhaps of not perfect coordination within government. I think there is a big question about what the UK wants to do on Ukrainian refugees. Is it just going to be 200,000 people admitted largely through the family route, which, you know, the government taking a slightly more generous definition against the very limited initial definition of family they came up with? Or do they want to go uh, further than 200,000? And I think, I think this is the question, is how many people are going to be on the move? I understand that the European Commission have told the UK government that they expect 5 million people to have fled Ukraine before the end of this month. Dealing with that, even with the immense generosity that, that Freddie Gray wrote about uh, on the website on Saturday from that you're seeing from countries like Poland, who obviously kind of share a kind of a sense of alarm at Russia and its behaviour... Even with that, if 5 million people are fleeing Ukraine, mostly women and children, that is going to require some other countries to help out. And I think countries beyond the European Union, I think the UK should be prepared to to play its part in that. And the UK is also uh, currently dealing with some of the consequences of this war in soaring gas prices. Fraser, we already knew this was going to be a problem in terms of general cost of living, but clearly it's been exacerbated further. What are we looking at? We're looking at the recipe for a British recession right now, a recession not just in Britain, but right around the the developed world. On The Spectator, we've got the data hub now, we've got a Ukraine page coming up with all the crucial figures. One of them, by the way, is for refugees. The the UN says there's 1.7 million Ukrainians who've gone from citizens to being um, refugees in the last couple of weeks. Off that 1.7 million, 1 million are in Poland. That's an incredible figure. And Britain doesn't even make the top 10 for, for other places. I mean, Belarus has taken 406. You can't see Britain on that um, chart anywhere. But also, we've got charts showing the oil price, $125 a barrel. And that's that's a sort of um, thing which normally makes you brace for economic pain. It wasn't so long ago that um, these oil prices were $85 a barrel. But then the UK gas price. Now, this is to me the most terrifying figure because it tends to oscillate. For most of the last 20 years, it's almost never got above one pound per therm. That's the way it is measured. And earlier on today, it got to eight pounds a therm. That's eightfold increase. It's now about six pounds a therm now, but it's jumping up so much that this, of course, now you've got a UK price cap, which um, is going to be um, increased, I think, next month, and then again in October. But you're looking at um, the cost of heating your house going up by at least 50% if you're using gas. And that could be just the start. That's before we really look at grain prices, food prices, the prices of fertilizer, all going to feed through onto inflation. 
And it's all going to hit our cost of living really quite hard. And I think the problem here is that nobody in Britain has been braced for this. In his speech to the French um, last week, Macron was actually quite upfront about the pain it's going to cause them. Biden's been quite upfront. Boris Johnson seems to be indulging in a bit of cakeism right now. He wants to be leading the efforts against the um, the, the Russian um, invasion of Ukraine while not really levelling with us over what the implications are going to be for us. So you're seeing some very difficult conversations taking place in America. And America, by the way, which is talking about giving the Polish fighter jets so the Poles can give their jets to the Ukrainians. And Britain, which is talking about six-point plans, but isn't really telling us the seventh point. The seventh point is that a lot of people on the poverty line are going to be pushed way under that line as a result of the pain to come. James, the Foreign Secretary at least alluded to this when she spoke in the House of Commons last week. But from Boris Johnson, we've heard very little in terms of repairing the country. Is that going to start to change? There was a line in his speech in Poland, but as, as, as Fraser said, you know, this is not the same way. You know, Emmanuel Macron, when he addressed the French people on Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesday night, was very clear that he talked about an economic dislocation that, that would be caused by this war. Joe Biden has talked about how you know energy prices are going to get higher, inflation is going to get worse because of it. I mean, Boris Johnson does need to prepare people for this. I always think the West needs to make a decision. One of the things that is sending energy prices so high is that there is an expectation that after what Tony Lincoln talked on Sunday about how the US is talking to its European allies about a boycott of Russian energy, starting with oil and then presumably moving to gas. You know, but that is one of the things driving these energy prices higher. The West, the, the, I think to take for this point about the West is now in, involved more countries than are in, in, in NATO, so you know, I think we could call it the global West, needs to realise that either it should place an embargo on Russian energy or it should stop talking about it because at the moment it's getting the worst of all worlds the market are the market prices that are being charged are reflecting a world in which there is an embargo on Russian oil and gas but there isn't an embargo on Russian oil and gas which means that Russia is still getting all of this foreign exchange from selling its product. Fraser we have a spring statement event coming up that I will plug in due course but I just wondered when it comes to that spring statement do you think the Chancellor is going to have to announce more measures to help with the cost of living? I think Rishi Sunak will give us the bad economic news, even if Boris Johnson doesn't. Uh, we know that, that Sunak is a great man of trade-offs. If he basically wants to do you know, three things with this Saturday, he'll list three things that he's not doing as a result of that. So he will be saying, look, we are taking this action, therefore it's going to cost us A, B and C. It wouldn't surprise me if that's actually at the forefront of his spring statement, the cost of living crisis to come. Now, he, having bailed people out of gas price hikes the first time around, and that was, by the way, just normal cost of living price, he set a bit of a precedent. So he'll be under pressure, perhaps, to help households adjust. He might There might be a, another bailout to, so we don't have to go straight to the £3,000 per average house, up from £2,000 right now. Uh, but then again, of course, he doesn't want to be the Chancellor that's in the business of bailing out your average person from oil price shocks. Nobody bailed out Britain during the um, the oil price shock of the, of the early 70s. Nobody bailed out the price consumers. Well, the IMF did eventually. Well, yeah, in 1976, yeah. But, 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 but the thing is, at the time, nobody was saying, oh, petrol's really expensive, so we want the government to come and help us out. People are thinking now, look, Rishi Sunak, you gave us a furlough scheme because of this strange external event. Now we've got another external event that's pushed up our energy prices. Will you come and help us? And he said yes the first time around. So why shouldn't he say yes the second time around? I think he's going to find it quite difficult to say why he shouldn't 
help for second time around. And that's going to be one of his dilemmas right now. Can you really increase for national debt to subsidize fuel bills that the whole of the Western world is facing? By the way, some more than others, Americans aren't facing this nearly as badly because they actually fracked the gas which they've got to frack, whereas we decided not to, with consequences which I think we're now about to confront. I think on fracking it, it's worth just saying one thing. I think there's a lot of confusion in the debate. Lots of people say, oh, the UK doesn't want to frack because of its net zero targets. I don't think that is right. The Tory ban on moratorium on fracking was put in place because they thought they wouldn't win marginal seats in Lancashire and Derbyshire in the 2019 general election with uh, a pro-fracking policy. And it's also worth noting that on, on the on the net zero front, gas is absolutely, you know, gas is a transition fuel. So if the UK was to frack and use more fracked UK gas rather than uh, importing gas from elsewhere, you know, that, that would net out in, in climate terms. It, it is about the fact that people don't like, that, that to date, and this might change with energy prices where they are, but to date, there has been too much popular opposition to fracking to make any politician prepared to uh, any government prepared to push on with it and um, james just just finally we're talking about obviously what the treasury came up with you know only a few months ago when it came to helping with cost of living but that appeared to be based on this idea that the rise in energy prices is going to be a short medium term yeah i think we are probably entering into an era of structurally higher energy prices so does that mean they're going to have to change tack I would be very surprised if the aim was that you know everyone got two hundred pounds and they were going to repay that back over time. I, I at the moment I would be very surprised if people did repay that back over time because it looks like the gas price is not going to necessarily be lower a year from now than it was when the package was initially proposed. I, I think the question ultimately is what what is the you know, ultimately I feel on like energy policy is stuck where there is. It's obvious what the right answer is in the medium term, which is nuclear and renewables. It is not obvious how you get there. And that is is the massive challenge of how you get from, you know, everyone knows where you need to get to, but how do you get there? I think this is how to build that bridge the government is is very uncertain of. And I think the the other thing you see is that, you know, this this is a problem which you are seeing right across the piece. You know, Germany wants to try and get off Russian oil and gas in two years, right? That is, you know, how do you do that, right? And that's even more difficult for Germany because they, they, they are opposed to nuclear. But the other problem with energy is that lots of these things take time. You know, you were to drill for more gas and oil in the North Sea, it's a perfectly good idea. It, but it will take a long time for that gas to start coming to market. Thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, just to mention, if you do want to check out the data Fraser is talking about, is data.spectator.co.uk. And we also have the event coming up, which I mentioned. So join myself, Fraser, James, and also Kate Andrews, our economics editor, on the 23rd of March, as we discuss the Chancellor's Spring Statement. Tickets are from £20, and you just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash current affairs. And that's at the Emmanuel Centre in Westminster.